0: Uh, we are in a message series called Coming Home, um, and this is uh, based on the incredible story um, from the Old Testament of, uh, in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. I've loved this series myself personally. Um, just being honest with you, those aren't two books that I was super familiar with um, before we started going through this series. And so I hope that it's been really good for you guys as well. But today we're going to focus on a very ordinary man named Nehemiah. We're going to meet Nehemiah today, and we're going to find out about how God kind of works in his life and what God asked him to do and put on his heart. Um, but I want to set up this message by kind of giving you some thoughts that perhaps are about you, um, and then we're going to dive into God's Word, and we're going to let it really speak to us. And so here's what I'm guessing about many of you in this room, regardless of whether we've had the opportunity to meet or not yet, or whether we know each other that well or not, um, is that I'm guessing that there is probably something in each one of you that really bothers you. I'm not talking about like an annoyance, okay? I'm talking about there is something that you have noticed, a burden that you have noticed that exists in our world or in our community, and you have noticed that it affects you more than it does anybody else that you're around, Most of the time, maybe so much so to the point that you have found yourself becoming frustrated with friends or family because you don't feel like they care as much as you do. And many times this type of burden, this type of um, passion that I'm talking about, a lot of times has to do with maybe you feeling like you need to stand up on behalf of someone else or a group of people or maybe an injustice that exists in the world, a need in our community that you've seen, and it profoundly affects you to the point where at times you, you lose sleep over it, you found yourself being emotional about it, and you've noticed that it doesn't necessarily affect you in the same way that it does other people. There's a pastor in the Atlanta area, his name is Andy Stanley, and Andy Stanley says that that thing... That burden that you have is the answer to this question. What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? And here's what I found. And if you're taking notes today, which I hope you are, there's uh, pens and uh, note cards and various colored highlighters Um, So if you are taking notes today, this is something that I would want you to write down because this is what I have found about our burdens. It's this, is that the burden that you bear, the burden that you bear often reveals the calling that you'll embrace. The burden that you bear will often reveal the calling that you'll embrace. In other words, it's this, the thing that tends to upset you will often drive you or compel you into a ministry that makes a difference in the lives of other people. And when I say ministry, that doesn't mean that I'm saying like God wants everybody in this room to be in like vocational ministry to become, you know, like a, a, a pastor in the sense of that's what you do for a living. When I say ministry, I just simply mean kind of the topic or the department or the area in which you step in to serve other people. That burden often is the thing that drives you into ministry to make a difference in the lives of other people around you. And this is exactly what has happened to Nehemiah, the man that we're going to meet today. And here's the great thing about Nehemiah, is he's not a pastor, he's not a priest, he's not a prophet, he's not a contractor, which will be important when we get into the story in just a minute, He's not verified on Instagram. He doesn't have a certain amount of followers to be able to swipe up or whatever you have to have on social media. He doesn't have any of that. Um, He's just a guy that's an ordinary servant. In fact, for a living, his job is he is the cupbearer to the king, which means literally his job is to put himself on the line every time the king wants to drink something to test it, to see if there's poison in it before he hands it over to the king. I mean, literally, his entire job is serving. He's a very, very ordinary guy that doesn't have any sort of formal appointed position, but what he does have is he has a God-ordained passion. And we're going to see as we walk through this passage in Nehemiah, we're gonna see that not only is that all that it really took for Nehemiah to act on his burden, to act on his passion, that's all it takes for us as well. And so we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 2. And so um, if you brought your Bible, awesome, Uh, go ahead and open it to chapter 2. If you did not, we have Bibles on the tables for you. Feel free to grab one of those. Um, We're also going to put the scripture up on the screen uh, behind us. But one thing that we like to do here at Real Hope is we like to encourage people to underline and highlight in their Bible along with their notes. Um, And so feel free to take that Bible on the table, open it up, do that if you don't have a Bible at home. Um, we don't just put those out there for them to sit there every week. We'd love for you to take one home and have that be um, your Bible. So we're going to be in uh, chapter 2 of the book of Nehemiah. And what we're going to do is we're going to read kind of the entire narrative that we're going to be focusing on today. And then we're going to pull some things out of that um, as we kind of continue on today. So we're going to start in verse 1, but we're going to start in the second half of verse 1. So this is what it says, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, that second half there. It said, I had not been sad in his presence before. This is Nehemiah talking. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, verse 3, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? And then I want you to underline this next phrase before you get to verse 5. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him, underline the rest of this sentence, send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have the letters May I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, underline this phrase right here, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so, and underline this phrase, he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city walls, for the residents I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Now I want you to skip down to verse 17. we we're going to pick up in 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king has said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. All right, so here's, here's what's happening. Here's the thing. God was calling the Jewish people. We've been talking about this over the last um, few weeks, but God was calling the Jewish people home. They'd been years and years and years in captivity. And so, yes, he was calling them home, to heal from being in captivity, but he was calling them home also to rebuild their community and be a representation of God to others around them. And here's the thing. Some of you sitting in this room, you're in the very same place. Um, God has called you home to Real Hope Community Church. You have made Real Hope Community Church your home. And since you've made Real Hope Community Church your home, you've kind of been sitting on the outskirts because maybe you needed some time to heal, maybe from some past hurt or some burnout or or something like that. But just like Nehemiah, God is saying, hey, you know, it's time for you to kind of get involved. It's time for you to act on that passion and that burden that I've given you. It's time to step up and lead here at the church. To be involved in what God has ordained, what has God has ordained as a passion in your life. Because that's exactly what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah says, you know, it's 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 time to step up, it's time to go rebuild our city, it's time to restore our reputation. And Nehemiah looked around and he said, You know what? Somebody's got to do it. It might as well be me. God has put this passion and this desire on my heart. And you are the same way. God has uniquely wired and uniquely put a passion or a burden on your heart. And it wasn't an accident. It's because he has an assignment for you to do. But then what? What? How do you proceed with that? What do you do with that? How do you make a difference? How do you start moving forward on that passion? Well, here's the thing. I'm going to give you four thoughts for today that we're going to pull from this text that we just read through. And we're going to get, I'll I'll tell you right now, we're going to get very, very practical on these four steps. Um, But then I'm really going to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit kind of guide you from that point forward of what those four steps, kind of the manifestation of those, what they look like for you. But here's the very first thing that I want to pull out from this passage. The first thing that you've got to do in order to move forward and make a difference on that passion, it's this. It's seek God faithfully. Seek God faithfully. We see this again and again and again. We are going to see that Nehemiah goes before God and he prays and he fasts and he cries out to God. And he seeks him faithfully. In fact, let me give you kind of the timeline to this whole thing that's happening right here. And if you went back and you read chapter 1, Nehemiah, you're going to see this to be true. And even into kind of that first little half of verse um, 1 in chapter 2. But um, let me give you the timeline so that you can understand this. So you're going to see... That Nehemiah heard the news about his people in the month of Keslev. Okay, you're like, fantastic. When in the world is Keslev? Well, Keslev is actually like now, it's November and December ish. So, right now, we are in the month of Keslev. So, Nehemiah hears this about his people in the month of Keslev, and he starts praying, and he prays until the month of Nisan. Now, listen, if you don't think that I have, like, five dad jokes right now about the fact that there was a month called Nisan, you don't know me that well, but I'm going to spare you from them. Maybe one. I might give you one. But anyway, he starts praying. Listen, he starts praying to the month of Nisan, okay? So he prays for four months, For four months, Nehemiah is praying, he's fasting, he's hurting for his people, he's crying out to God, he's seeking God, asking him, what do you want me to do about this burden of rebuilding the city that you have placed on my heart? And why is he doing this? Well, because he wants to make sure that God is the one leading his steps. And here's why. It's, it's hard to convey um, how tricky this situation is, but I'm going to try. So it would have not only been kind of uncomfortable for Nehemiah to go to the king and approach him with this request, it would have been downright dangerous. Because as the cupbearer, it is his entire job to make sure that the king is always safe and the king is always happy. So he's not going to bring him difficult news that could risk putting the king in a bad mood or making him sad. That's not what he's going to do. If he does that, he could literally be putting himself in danger. And depending on the mood of the king, the king could be like, I don't, I don't want to hear about this. Like, my life's good. I'm in a joyful place. Get away from me with this news. And it literally could have been putting his life in danger so he's seeking God faithfully to make sure that God is the one that is directing his steps. And listen, this, this, we see this. I want you to look back at verse 1. This is why Nehemiah says, I had not been sad in his presence before. That's why he says that. Because it was his job to make sure that the king did ne- never got difficult news. That he was happy and joyful always in the presence of the king. And we go on to verse 2, and it says, So the king asked me, why does your face look sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. Again, Nehemiah is afraid because only happiness is what he's supposed to be conveying to the king, which is why he probably starts verse 3 the way that he does. He says, but I said to the king, what's the first thing he says to the king? He says, may the king live forever. Because he realizes, I'm sad. The king notices I'm sad. But king, may you live forever. Remember, you live forever before I give you the news and the request that I'm about to. And he goes on in verse 3 and he says, But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and your servant has found favor in his sight, please, or sorry, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Here's what I want you to notice from this particular section of, of scripture right here. Is I want you to notice that when he says, when I had you guys underline, this I prayed. To the God of Heaven, listen. That, it's not like the king asked him, "What do you want?" and then he took like a four-day prayer retreat, and then he came back and gave the king an answer. No, no, no. Listen, he had already done that. Don't you remember? It was like the month of Keslev to the month of Nissan, Ultima. Like he had already done that, right? He had already spent his four months praying. That moment right there, when he said, "I prayed to the God of Heaven." That is from a man that had done the work of seeking God faithfully. That is from the man, a man that has an intimate daily relationship with God. He is talking to God daily so that in the moment when he finds himself in the moment with the opportunity where the king is looking at him and he's saying, what do you want? He can pop off a prayer to God like sending a text message and say, God, what do you want me to do right now in this moment? I hope both prayers exist in your life. I hope that you have prayers that are long and you are on your knees crying out to God. Things that you are wrestling with for months and months and months. So that when you find yourself in an opportunity where something is right before you, where you can act on that burden that God has given you in your heart, you can pop off text like prayers to God and you can know what to do in the moment because you put in the work of seeking Him faithfully. That's what Nehemiah does in this moment. When the king says, What do you want? He can immediately say, Okay, God, now's the time. What do we want? How do you want me to proceed? How do you want me to walk forward in this? What do you want me to say? How do you want me to act in this moment? And we have to be the same thing. We have to be willing to put in the um, time of seeking God faithfully. And here's the thing about God. Is that there's nothing too big for God in prayer. There's nothing too big for him. And the other is true, too is that there's nothing too small for the heart of God either. He cares about it all. He's burdened with it all. If it burdens you, it burdens him. It came from him. He's the one that gave you that desire. He's the one that gave you that passion. We have to seek God faithfully. And, And here's the thing. Here's why. Because if prayer isn't necessary to accomplish your vision, then you aren't thinking big enough. If prayer isn't necessary to accomplish your vision, then you are not thinking big enough. Your vision, your passion, your burden, it should not be something that you can do in your raw strength and talent. It has to be something that can only be achieved with the power of God. That's how you know it's from him. You want something so big, you want something so full of faith that you need the power of God to come through for you, for it to happen. So how do you make a difference? First thing is you seek God faithfully. Here's the second thing. The second thing is that you state God's vision clearly. State God's vision clearly. Here's what I found. I found that for most people, it's not like a lack of caring that's their problem. It's a lack of clarity. It's not outlining specifically what you're called to do. And and I want to show you this. I I want us to watch how there is crystal clear clarity of this ordinary man, Nehemiah, and the vision that God has given him. Okay, watch what what happens. Watch what Nehemiah says. So the king asks Nehemiah, Nehemiah, listen, he's like, I see you're upset. What do you want me to do about it? And Nehemiah says in verse 5, he says this if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. One sentence. Absolute clarity. Nehemiah was seeking God faithfully. When he got the opportunity, the king asked him, what do you want? He had his he was able to state God's vision clearly in that moment, in one sentence, in absolute clarity, please send me to Judah so that I can rebuild the walls. That's what I want. That's the burden God put on my heart. For most of you, it's not caring, that's the problem. It's a lack of clarity. It's not spending the time and seeking God faithfully to ask the questions of God, what do you want me to do? God, what are you calling me to do? Here's an example. Some of you might say, Oh, well, God has given me a burden for children. That's awesome. Fantastic. But how are you supposed to help children? Which children? Those children that don't have their basic needs met, those children that can't read, those that have been abused or neglected, those that don't have homes. Where are you supposed to do this? In your city, in your state, in your country, in another country maybe? What is it very specifically that God has been calling you to do? Because here's the bottom line. If you can't state it, if you can't define it, you can't do it. You're never going to know what it is. You're never going to know how you accomplished it or not. The king asked Nehemiah, what is it you want me to do? And very succinctly, he says, send me to Judah so I can rebuild the walls. That's what I want. That's what God has put on my heart. In a sentence, what is God leading you to do? In a sentence, what burden has God put on your heart? And listen, here's the deal. It doesn't have to be this big sweeping movement. I think a lot of times we think that it does have to be, right? Because it's like, well, if it's worth the time and if it's worth the energy. But no, 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 no. It doesn't have to be a big sweeping movement. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know what God is calling each and every one of you to do. But it doesn't have to be. Because here's the reality. Really, any passion that God has put on your heart is big, And I don't mean like big in scale, like what society would say, maybe, or what our society labels as worthwhile or big in scale. I mean, it's big because you need God to achieve it. That's why it's big, because you can't do it on your own, regardless of what God is calling you to do. Listen, you might say, I feel like God is leading our family to be completely debt-free except for our mortgage by the year of 2022. That's great. That's definable. Therefore, it's perhaps even doable for you. You know succinctly we're doing that or we're not, right? You might say, well, God's leading me to have a conversation with each one of my coworkers that I regularly interact with about Jesus before 2021. Awesome. Awesome. God's calling me to donate a combined $100,000 to my church by the time that I'm 40 years old. Great. God is calling me to be a small group leader for our kids or our students to let them know that you don't have to make the same mistakes that I did. You can start following Jesus right now, passionately, for the rest of your life. Awesome. Great. What is it that God is calling you to do? It might be God calling you to just reach out and invite 10 people to our Christmas series at church. That's awesome. It's clear, it's definable. That's what God's calling you to do. State God's vision clearly. Here's number three you make plans carefully. Make plans carefully. Somebody said this to me one time, and it has stuck with me in my mind, and it's this. It's that a goal without a plan is just a wish. A goal without a plan is just a wish. And I think a lot of times we get caught up in doing a lot of wishing. Wishing that somebody would do something about the thing that we've noticed, forgetting that we are the ones that noticed it. Wishing that a miraculous kind of plan would come together and someone would just deliver it to you. Wishing. It honors God to make a plan. God's the one that gave you that vision. That's something that we should steward with a lot of responsibility. It's something that we should be serious about. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is to get organized. Here's why God is a systematic God. We live in a solar what? Solar system, guys. This is, I'm concerned about our education system right now. Yeah, we live in a solar system. We have seven days in our week every single time. It's not like, oh, man, we have eight days this week. What a surprise. No, it's seven every single time. There's not some years with 372 days in the year. We have an orderly God We have a systematic God, so you need to make plans carefully when God has given you a burden and laid something on your heart. Watch how specifically clear Nehemiah is about his plan. Look at verse 6. This is what it says. It says, Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, side note, make sure all the decision makers are in the room when you're presenting your vision. No? Okay. Um, Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Now notice, listen, Nehemiah didn't say, we're going to stop right there for a minute. Nehemiah didn't say, "Uh, man, king, I, pff, I don't know. I have no clue. I mean, maybe longer than 10 days, less than 50, I don't know. It's not how he answered him. He says, it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. So listen, we don't know exactly what the exact specifics of Nehemiah's plan was in that minute. We get a little bit more details. We go along here in just a minute. But in that second, but what we do know is that it was a plan that was clear enough. It was a plan that was efficient enough that the king liked it. And so he said, go ahead and go. And Nehemiah set a time to go. But look, he's not done. Look at verse 7. He says, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have, watch how specific this gets, letters to the governors of Trans and Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. What is Nehemiah doing right here? He's asking for protection, and he's asking for provision. He is very, very clear. He's saying to the king, hey, can I go back? That's my first request. And then as I'm going back, can you give me letters so that I can have protection while I'm traveling? And then I can have the supplies that I need once I get there to do the job that God has put on my heart. And then he ends it with this, and he says, because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So then he's very careful not to say, because I put together this killer plan that the king was just so impressed with, he gave me everything that I asked for. So what he said? He said, because the gracious hand of God was on me, I was able to go forward with the vision that God had given me. He sought God. He was led by the Spirit of God. He was depending on God to direct his words and direct his steps. He was incredibly clear on what he was going to do. He created a plan. He went out and said, this is how I'm going to accomplish this plan. And the king said, okay. And now you may be thinking to yourself, okay, no, I get it. Like, I do. I have this passion. I have this burden. I have this idea that's been swinging around in my head and you know what, um, Like I want to create a plan, but I don't really know how to create the perfect plan. Well, one of the things that I always tell people when I'm sitting down with them and I'm talking about passions and just what God has created us to do and kind of what's on their heart is the thing I always say is this, you know what, I would love to implement a plan today with passion that's maybe not so perfect than a perfect plan five months from now with no passion. Because the reality of it is, is that there's not a perfect plan. And that even if you waited five months from now and you thought you had a perfect one, you don't. God's put something on your heart now. And because it's a passion from God, because it's a vision from God, he's going to be right there beside you he's going to be the one that is ordaining your steps, directing your steps. He's just asking you to get the ball moving. I'll tell you what my plan is almost all of the time in every almost every single situation. And you're going to want to write this down because it's really profound. Here's what it is. It's just do the right do the next right thing with the need that's in front of you. That's it. Do the next right thing with the need that's in front of you. It's simple, but it works. Do the next right thing with the need that is in front of you. And when you do that, you will see step by step, faithfulness by faithfulness, you begin to redefine success. And you realize that success is not in achieving some sort of accomplishment out there in the future. That success is being faithful with the thing right in front of you today. The need that's right in front of you today. So you have to ask yourself, what's the next right thing for you? You want to start a ministry? Okay, do the next right thing. Have a meeting with someone who's doing exactly what you want to be doing. Take a tour. Come with questions. And then once you ask the question, shut your mouth and listen. Gain as much knowledge as you can. You've got an idea or or you want to learn about something new, well, then register. Finally sign up for that online class. Take that online class, find a mentor, write a business plan, listen to a podcast. I don't know what it is for you, but whatever the next right thing is for you with the need that's in front of you today, then do that. And I promise you, God will be faithful to begin to open doors again and again and again for you to be able to be active in the burden that he's given you. I've seen it in my life and I've seen it in the lives of other people as well. You seek God faithfully, you def- you state the vision God has given you clearly, you make plans carefully, and then here's the very last one. You invite people passionately. You invite people passionately. I'm going to take just a second to kind of detour from the passage a little bit to share with you guys about something that I am so incredibly excited about, and our staff is so excited about, and our elders are so excited about, and that's our Christmas series. We're kicking it off on December 8th, so next Sunday, we're going to wrap up the Coming Home series, this one that we're in right now, and then December 8th, we're going to be kicking off our Christmas series, and it's a series that we're calling Turning Hearts, And it's coming from a passage in the book of Luke in which we're talking about how Jesus' arrival here on earth was for the mere purpose to turn hearts and to prepare the way for people to encounter Christ. And so I'm so excited about looking at our message series through that lens, through the lens of the gospel, through the lens of the arrival of Jesus Christ on earth, But I'm excited about it because the things that I just outlined for you in this series, this message today, those are the exact steps that our staff and our elders have been going through. Seeking God faithfully about what does he want for Real Hope Community Church over the next year. And then stating God's vision clearly. And then making a plan for the next year. And then on December 8th, we're going to get to passionately invite you to be a part of that. And I'm so, I'm so excited about our Christmas series. And so I want you to like, make a commitment right now. I know many of you, it's a month of travel and family and all of that kind of stuff. Make a commitment to be here as much as you can throughout the month of December. And if you have family in town, guess what? They can come too. We would love to have them. It's going to be an amazing time where you're going to actually get to see on full display what Nehemiah was doing in this exact passage and how that's going to work in our church, and you will not want to miss it. And I guarantee you that you're going to end up wanting to invite people passionately as well to what God is doing. But look at how Nehemiah invites people passionately. I want to look at verse 17. It says, Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. i just, just stop there for a second, because I love Nehemiah's authenticity in this verse. Like, he's telling the truth. He's not sugarcoating it. He's not trying to say, hey, this is going to be a really easy vision for you guys to get on board with. I think a lot of times we back away from asking people things because we want to answer the question for them before we even ask it. We don't ask because we're like, well, they're not going to do it. They've got too much going on or this or that. Well, really, that's the job of the Holy Spirit working in their life. That's not our job. And so Nehemiah is just honest. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. He doesn't pretend. He just says, no, guys, we are in a lot of trouble. Here's the problem. He presents the problem. And then you keep going in verse 17, and he says, Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. So he says, here's the problem. Our city lies in ruins. Here's the solution. We've got to do something about it. We have to rebuild this wall in Jerusalem, so we will no longer be in disgrace. He says, come on, everyone. You say you believe in the one true God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. If you do, then let us rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. And then he says in verse 18, I also told them about the gracious hand of God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. When we invite people passionately, we have an opportunity to stand in front of them and say, here's the problem. Here's why we should do something about it. And then we have the opportunity to say, you know what, and we're not going to be doing it alone. God is with us. God is working. God is for us. You can invite the people around you to believe that God is for them and for what you are doing. That God is the one that's opening doors that we don't have the power to open that he is the one giving us favor in the hearts of people. You can also invite people passionately, just like Nehemiah did. I love what John Wesley said. John Wesley's known to be the founder of the United Methodist Church, and this is what he said. He said, light yourself on fire with passion, and people will come from miles to watch you burn. Don't apologize for the calling that God's given you and the passion that you have for it. He did it for a reason, and he did it because he has a very distinct assignment for you to carry out. And so I'm going to dare you today to play with a little gasoline, like John Wesley, our friend, would say. Let your passion and your fire burn. One of my favorite things to do is to sit down with people and to help them see what is possible, to sit down with our church and to help our church see what is possible throughout Fort Bend County. You know, Three years ago, we had 37 people that had nothing but a dream and a vision of a church that would see everything through the lens of the gospel and dare to be a safe place for people to wrestle with the big questions of faith. And as of today, we have over 200 people that call Real Hope Community Church their home in two different locations, all from different walks of life. And with your prayers and with our faith and with our heart and with our generosity and ultimately with the power of God, I honestly believe with everything inside of me that God's just getting started. That he wants to see 300 people, 500 people, 1,000 people call Real Hope Community Church home. And not because we're obsessed with being able to put up big numbers like some sort of badge, but because God knows that there are a lot of broken, hurting people in Fort Bend County that desperately need the grace of Jesus Christ. And so we're not just building church services, we're building a church. We're on a mission to fill people with heaven who need the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I would challenge you to say that there are people in your lives that you see on a regular basis that desperately need the grace of Jesus Christ as well. And so invite them to be a part of what's happening here at Real Hope. I mean, heck, we have a service at 7 p.m. tonight. Invite them this afternoon. Get them at the Perfect Latte at 7 p.m. Bring them back for our Christmas series. Start to think now of people that you're going to invite to our Christmas series. The thing that you're passionate about, your burden, listen, let it break your heart. It's okay. It should. Let it break your heart to the point where you cannot keep it to yourself, where it literally oozes out of you to those that are around you. And not with an anger that turns people away, but with a passion that draws people in. Because here's the thing, here's the thing to remember, is that the burden that you bear often reveals the calling that you will embrace. Some of you you might say well um i don't really I don't really think God's calling me to do anything like I'm not really that qualified of a person. I'm not a very um charismatic person um I don't really even like people that much if we're being honest um, you know you're like, I'm just pretty ordinary, and I would say, "Well, congratulations, you are the exact type of person that God has used over and over and over again throughout His word. You are exactly the type of person God's working." looking for and going to use. I'm going to wrap up today by just giving you a short story of a way in which um, God still uses very ordinary people. Um, This is not just isolated to Nehemiah as printed as some words in our Bible. This is still very real and happens of God using a very ordinary person to work to achieve something. So I have always known that my burden and my passion is specifically for those that are marginalized and vulnerable due to poverty, specifically children, but really anybody in general, but specifically children. I have been many a times found myself in full-blown, like, tears hearing a story about a kid going to bed hungry or not having access to clean water, a basic need that every human being should have. And looking around a room and being like, I don't understand why no one else is literally like in the fetal position right now about this story. That's a problem. And so God has given me opportunity after opportunity as I've prayed over the last several years um, to be a part of um, being involved with kids that find themselves in that situation in various ways. But last year, God did this amazing thing in which he took that passion and that vision and he collided it with another passion in my life, which is fitness. And I randomly one day, as I was working out, found found myself um, at my CrossFit box and found myself in the middle of a workout um, just kind of stopping. And if if you've ever done CrossFit or maybe you don't or you don't know much about it, you don't really stop during the workout. It's a timed thing. But I found myself stopping, kind of just looking around my gym for a minute and looking at all the people that were working out. And I thought to myself, what would it look like for God to use this fitness community to help children that are in poverty? I didn't know the answer to the question. One, because I can say this because I am a CrossFitter, but most CrossFitters are really into themselves. And so it was hard for me to imagine them wanting to help other people. But I was like, well, man, I don't know. What does this look like? And so what I did is I did the next right thing. I called our friends up at World Vision and I said, hey, what do you guys think about this question? What do you think that would look like? And after several months of conversation, we created an event called the Cheru Challenge. Many of you guys know and have heard of Cheru because we talked about her during our Matthew 25 challenge, but she was a little girl that just two years ago at the age of five was making an average walk of six kilometers a day to have access to literally cow manure-filled ponds. Bringing back to her village um, to digest... And she did not have access to clean water. But last year, through the work of World Vision and various events, like the True Challenge, Teru's family got access to clean water right in her village. So now she's not walking six kilometers. She's walking like 100 feet to turn on a faucet. And her mom's not having to worry anymore that she's going to be one of the 1,000 children a day that die by not having access to clean water. And so we put together an event to honor Charu and the victory of her family having clean water. And so what it looks like is that a few months leading up to this super challenging workout—I mean, I say super challenging, a challenging workout—we ask people to fundraise to their friends and their family to raise money to provide clean water for kids. And then we ask them to do a workout, doing various movements in which they're holding this jerry can the entire time of the workout. Now this is not full. But if it was full, it's about 45 to 50 pounds full. Last year, we were able... (laughs) One of the things about working on your passion is you often don't know when you're on the front end of something special. You don't know. And we didn't, we had no idea. But last year, we had 11 um, uh, gyms participate in the True Challenge. And through 11 gyms... Uh, we were able to raise $64,000, which provided clean water to 1,200 children. We honestly thought it was just going to be like some fun gym that maybe, some fun workout that maybe raised a few hundred dollars. And this year, we're four months away from the True Challenge, and we're on track to have 50 gyms participating to raise $250,000, which will provide clean water for 5,000 children. Listen, here's the deal. I'm not telling you that story to be like, Yay, like, go me. I'm telling you that story to illustrate the fact of Nehemiah saw a need in front of him, and he thought, no one's doing anything about this. I can do something about this. What's the next right thing I can do? Well, I'm the cupbearer to the king. I can talk to the king. It's risky, but I can do it. I was literally working out. Probably not having a great attitude about it, if we're being honest. And I just thought, what can we do to kind of collide these worlds? I don't know, but I know an organization that does. What is that going to look like? God has given you a platform. He's given you influence, whether you think he has or not. What's the next right thing you can do with the need in front of you? we're going to do right now is we're going to close by praying, and we're going to ask God just that. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer um, as we close today. We're going to ask the Father just to do that, to show us what we can do in the passion that he's given us. So let's pray.